Hi everyone, it's Ed Clancy here. Welcome to the Pursuit Line podcast. We're going to be talking about everything high performance. We've got some really interesting guests. We're going to be speaking to them about what's drove them to success, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Pursuit Line podcast. It's me, Phil Kelly, and your co-host... Ed Clancy, OBE. We'll get the OBE on the back. Yeah, get a little bit of authority, credibility. We worked yeah. hard for that. Let's get straight into that. What was it like getting your OBE, anyway? Was it like a special occasion for the family? First of all, you get your MBE, don't you? When yeah. you're on the bottom... Bottom rung. Bottom rung. <laughs> <laughs> so after Beijing, I think I was 23 years old, and your name comes out in the New Year's honour. That's pretty cool at 23. Big time, yeah. A long time ago now, Phil. Your mum gives you a phone call and says how excited it is, and you know, she's hoping that she gets an invite into the palace, and she did. So I was there, and my mum, stepdad, and little sister got me MBE, and it was pretty much eight years to the day afterwards we met Prince Charles. It was Charles, yeah, for the second time, eight years later for my OBE. But yeah, you go in the palace, and there's a big seating area where all the friends and family are, and you're briefed on how you approach Prince Charles, and you sort of walk up, and then you stop, and you turn ninety degrees. But you don't walk towards him. You stop and you bow your head and you wait for the nod. If you get the nod, which I think everyone does, <laughs> then you're allowed to approach. You don't ask questions. You answer his questions. But I've got to say, he was a nice fella. He had some good banter, actually. I met him when I was 17, I think. It was through sport, actually, playing for a team. And oh, yeah. he came to inspect the new stadium that had been built. Yeah, I just remember it. And it was only a few months ago, actually, that a friend of a friend had been to watch Cardiff City was a team. When I was in the programme, it was obviously about Prince Charles visiting yeah. the stadium, yeah. but I was there with me with my really cool earring. I had a little sleeper. It was well bought. Did you speak to him then? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the picture was of me chatting to him. Oh, great. So, Pursuit Line podcast. We know that Pursuit Line's all about our top-end elite performance, but fundamentally it's about getting everything right. It's getting these foundations right for us to be able to form. And in yep. the intro one, we were talking about, let's be happy today. Mm-hmm. Let's not go chasing it. But I think it's really important that we have a theme to talk around on these. And I think the one today is about that dealing with ambiguity, dealing with uncertainty, because I think it's something that a lot of the world has been facing the last two years, especially with COVID times. And we'll link that into how that's obviously affected you and your career and our business. But more importantly, maybe give the people at home a few top tips in terms of how to deal with that. But before that, let's just explain your Olympic cycle. So from my view, 2020 was you getting prepared for that last little run into Tokyo 2020, your last Olympics, your last hurrah. Yeah, and you were going to retire that summer off the back end of it. And then, yeah. I can't remember, was it February, March, we had a call and you were like, right, we need to have a chat here. Yeah, that's Do you want to get your point across of your memories of how ambiguity started then? Yeah, I remember it pretty well, actually, yeah. I'd quite confidently just finished a phone call with the Daily Mail and I was tackling loads of questions about, like, you know, it looks more and more like certain that the Olympics are going to get postponed or cancelled and... What do you feel about that? And honestly, I really believed in what I was saying. I was like, nah, nah, there's no way they're going to cancel the Olympics. Yeah, then I feel stupid about six hours. <laughs> <laughs> six hours later, they announced that indeed it was going to get canned. Again, in that same interview, I was answering questions in terms of like, you know, how are you handling with it now? Do you feel good mentally? And are you still up for it in your old age? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know what? It feels like the last interval on a turbo where you don't have to worry about anything else. You just forget your friends and your family and all that. And you're just all in for one last hurrah. And that's genuinely how I felt at that point in time. And I did feel like this is the end. I'm going to have to commit for another four or five months. And then it really is done. 
And then it was like somebody walking up to you when you're doing your last interval on the turbo and saying, ah, oh, sorry, Ed, you've got another 10 minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> it took a while to get your head around. You know, this isn't something that's unique to sports people or myself, but everyone likes to know what they're doing. I believe that's a big human trait, right? You know, we like certainty. We'd like to predict the future. We'd like to try anyway. That was a great example of the goalpost move and there are no guarantees in life. And then I know it when you're already 35, your back's already knackered. You might have been all in for the last year and a half to make the team and make Olympic selection. And we ticked all those boxes. We had nice big green ticks in. And then the goalpost move. First of all, problems for myself, but it wasn't easy. Especially the way you guys commit and sacrifice your whole lives to it as Olympic athletes and top-end performers. But I think, you know, mm. it, it does cross over. I mean, I remember from my perspective that leading into 2020, we'd spent the best part of 18 months sort of restructuring and redesigning the business. And there's a few things we needed to sort out on the back end of it. And then I remember December 2019, I was like, right, this is all sorted for Christmas now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the first two or three weeks in January really focusing in down on the business plan and really like defining it. Yeah. And the reason I did that is because the last week of January, I was going skiing. So I was all super excited. <laughs> I was like, right, three weeks of hard work now. I have a great hurrah skiing last week of January. And then February, we're up and running. You know, we're going to take over the world. Here we go. And then the first four weeks happened, all right? You know, we had a great time skiing, et cetera. And then they come back and then it was just as news was breaking. We'd been to Northern Italy as well, which was obviously was the epicenter of Europe. Clients were saying, well, don't think you should be coming on site. We're just going to pull the brakes or this new deal isn't going to go over the line. And you're like, wow. And yeah. As a primarily face-to-face training consultancy company, it put massive question marks over what we're going to do next. But mm. I think one of the things about dealing with ambiguity is having that clarity of purpose and responding really sort of purposefully. You now having that, well, what can we get from this and what can we do? And I know there's all these cliches and if the people haven't heard from them, they've certainly been used in British cycling about the controller controllables. And, yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah. to control the controllables, you've got to go through a process of refining what those are. Yes. How I do it is sometimes I just come in in the morning and I write everything that's down in my mind. Everything, just dump it down. Yeah. And then I look at it and I go, right, can I do anything about that? No, and I'll put a pen on straight through it. So I almost like take them off the list. Yep. So I make my list smaller and then I go, right, which one can I control? Which one can I do something about? I'll circle that. And then I look at them and go, right, well, if they're not in the circle of control and they're not in the circle of bin, if you like, Mm. what can I do with the rest of them? And it might be a case of I need to send that email. I need to offload it. I need to delegate. Just stick a time frame on these? Yeah, time frame. But then what I do is I prioritize what's there. So I got my list, my mind dump, and then I go, right, out of all those things I could control, what's the most important thing to me right now? And it might be, well, none of them. They can all wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Or what's the minimum I need to get done today that's going to allow me to walk out of the office at the end of the day knowing that A, I've made progress, yep. or B, I've dealt with some of the challenging things. So yeah. for me, mind dumping it on paper is really, really important for dealing with ambiguity because I think sometimes the weight of the internal voice, the internal dialogue becomes a little bit irrational. Mm. and you get that feeling in your stomach and that concern and then all of a sudden that impacts on the way you're eating and the way you're sleeping yeah you can see where this is going with elite athletes now can't you in terms yeah, of you know, that lack of mm. a process a way of getting it out from your mind either verbally to somebody or yeah. down onto paper can be really restrictive this is what phil does he crosses out everything that he can't control he works out what he can and he sets time frames on it and sorts it out. And prioritise the things that can be. So nice. I literally put a number next to him. So yeah, what's the yeah. most important thing? And I quickly look at it and go, right, that's number one, that's number two. Mm-hmm. And I set to work on it. You know what Ed Clancy does when his head's full of shit, don't you? <laughs> I know exactly what you yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> PlayStation Man Cave. Yeah. I think what it does is 
it allows me to start the day in a positive foot. Yes. You know, so, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. this is what needs to happen in bang, 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 right, I've attempted to start the day positively. So this is what I do when I'm having a tough time is, I don't know if this is like a sort of freeze manoeuvre, isn't it, you know, for the old limbic lobe, but I just hide, I close the curtains, I go downstairs into my man cave. The funny thing is, though, when you're down there in that man cave, you don't get anywhere, do you? Oh, I don't get anywhere. I don't get anything done. I don't get anywhere close to the truth. I certainly don't get any more clarity on my life. So that's a habit I've been trying to get out of, Phil, with your help. I think you have, though. I think you know, been we're, yeah, we're down yeah. from six days to yeah. two days now. Typically, look at 66% improvement. Actually. It's stupid. Isn't it? Funnily enough, you don't get anywhere when you're down there. I never got anywhere. and I just wasted time. Funnily enough, it's when I started speaking to someone, I could start to get better clarity on mm-hmm. what I need to do and where I need to go and we can or can't solve this. Yeah, and I think everybody's got their own sort of default settings, you know, those learned behaviours of yeah. how we manage certain situations. And if you look at it from a mental health perspective, I know generally men tend to just tighten up. We don't talk. Mm. We're not really good at it. Girls tend to get the girls around with a bottle of wine or a bottle of Prosecco and have yeah. a chat around it and, you know, yeah. get it all A's and graces. Yeah. They'll pick it apart. But yours was very much, well, I just need some me space. And I think there's a good example of why that is. And we know that you've got a deep analytical brain. So therefore you want to process things and you live a lot inside your head Mm. and you problem solve really well inside your head. But I think when you overlap emotional response to that and a little bit of confusion, the result is inactivity. Yeah. Because you need that space. When I'm a bit down, Phil, I find it hard to do the most basic of tasks is that pretty normal? Yeah, really normal. It yeah, could, yeah, honestly, yeah. it could be like replying to an email or making two or three phone calls. Yeah. You know, if you're having a great day, done in two, three minutes, just call, 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 write or, down notes. Or you get distracted because your brain's so busy, you're not fully focusing on the task at hand. And it doesn't have to be deep sort of mental health challenges fog. It could just be a little bit of distraction almost. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. Something happened yesterday and I was making a cup of tea for my wife and ended up making two coffees. She doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> so I was just on autopilot and I was yeah. like I've made some coffees why have I done that it's because I was thinking of something else my mind was somewhere else so my mind was already trying to solve another problem mm. rather than concentrate on what I was doing and it, this is when it comes back to that thing around being present yeah yeah being present with your thoughts feelings emotions behaviours mm. and then you can work your way through them but very rarely do I see people able to fully come out of it on their own yeah they need either that stimulus it might be you know a song it might be a video it might be a conversation with yeah. another person yeah again i'm not talking deep mental health issues i'm talking about those four days mm-hmm. that you feel like the world's against you and yeah, you can't yeah. do anything right yeah but yeah there's quite a common response really just to tuck yourself away i tell you what yeah. i do see is a massive trend those in the professional working world is they just bury themselves in work mm. Yeah. They don't get that opportunity to get their head up, really. You want to take a step back to see what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then because they're so close to it, they then don't pick up on the negative or the poor behavior patterns they're starting to build up as habits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's what happened with you mm. is dealing with that ambiguity and the uncertainty of, in your eyes at that time, correct me if I'm wrong, was failure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. How do I deal with failure? Mm. So talk us a little bit more about that then in terms of what was happening down in that man cave when you were having those conversations or lack of conversations with yourself. A lot of Grand Theft Auto 5. Yeah. Any good at it? No. That's good. Too old these You probably weren't present for that either then. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes it's processing with me. I'm resting when I'm down there as well. And I don't think it's healthy being down there for more than a day. But in some ways, I do sort of slowly feel like my battery's recharging, Phil. And after a while, I'm like, you know what? I'm getting bored of this. When I start getting bored, I start trying to make an action plan. And then that usually starts with speaking to someone like yourself, your girlfriend, a couple of mates. And then as soon as you've done that, you know, quite quickly you start sort of digging your way out of that hole. Again, I don't think this is anything unique to me, but 
I like having a plan. I like having an action plan. You know, if I get up in the morning and there's no, by the end of the day, I want to achieve X, Y, and Z, I'll revert to doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a simple task of like, right, today, I know it's going to be a naff day on the bike and no I'm coming off the back of a loss. The goal today is to simply get out there and rubbish three or four hours on your bike, get back, fill in the training diary, check in with the coach. And then all of a sudden, you just start to slowly build on that. And again, I always believe this sort of success breeds success. And when you're at rock bottom, doing anything is better than nothing. And then slowly you can start to sort of build momentum and get out there. And after a week or so, you can start planning to take over the world again. We're all different, aren't we, as human beings? And I think what we're talking about here is just the way you, there was a three-time Olympic champion, six-time world champion, and everything else you've achieved on and off the road and on tracks and that, is that we're all human and we all have set processes we like. So what you talked about there and what jumped out was that you like structure, you like process, you like a routine. Yeah. Hence yeah. why you've survived so long within the British cycling setup, you know, in 20 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that you work really well with that. But what you probably don't deal too well with is ambiguity. Now, there's mm. other people that thrive off ambiguity. They're really good at problem solving when yeah. things occur because they haven't got to think about it too much. They're quite instinctive. Yeah. And because they've spent most of their life doing that, they're really good at it. Yeah. But where you've spent most of your life being structured and had routine and have things to think about and plan ahead. Yes. This is where we sometimes have the cause for interpersonal challenges. We're trying to achieve the same goal, but you want to do it one way and another person wants to do it a different way. And this can cause tension and concern. Yep. And also what we've got to have is a mutual respect of actually neither of us are right or we're both right. And we've got to come to a place of finding a way of working together. So for example, taking this back into a workplace, imagine being really structured. I like the routine. I like to know what I'm doing. I like to plan months in advance. Yep. But my boss comes in every day and changes the goalpost and goes, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah, but you told me that nine o'clock yesterday and I put loads of work. And I was thinking about it last night mm. when I'm sat around the table with my family. So I'm committed to this. Yeah. But now you change the goalposts again. They do it every single day. Or you're trying to get feedback off your leader or manager. You're not getting it. Yeah. So this might freak you out, Ed. As an athlete, you know full well that you get feedback probably 50 times a day. Mm. Whether it's feedback of turning up on time at the track, yeah. the feedback of the speed or the tire pressure of the wheels, or the this data, 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 data. Yeah. You know, this always come back. Imagine being in a world where you are fully committed to your role and you don't get any feedback. And I mean, none. Oh, man. So you don't see your manager, you don't see your leader. And a lot of organizations don't even enforce this, no feedback. And then you've got the more, I suppose, mature organizations that would say, well, you get an annual review. So one time a year, you get feedback. Yeah. yeah, Formal feedback. You sit down and it's normally over an hour, it's over a form, and good, bad, and indifferent. And then you might get a more forward-leaning organization that says, well, actually, you get a six-month phase off. So every six months, we sit down twice. Yeah. Now, the forward thinking and really effective leaders and managers are out there will go, well, that's fine from a formal perspective. We should be giving feedback regularly, really. We should be having regular contact points. Every time I speak to them, they go, that's really good. That. Thanks for doing that. Mm. Just those little bits. So, do you know, you did that last week, but maybe we could tweak this and that could be better. That's great. Mm. So those little bits of touch points. Yeah. But I would say from my experience, a lot of the people in the working world get zero feedback. Can you imagine what that would be like? Because I think that's what people struggle with in terms of ambiguity in their day job, where they spend the majority of their time not just Monday to Friday, on weekends these days. I'm trying to do the best I can mm. with the resources available, but I'm not quite sure where I'm going here. Yeah. So how do we build this culture of an organization, a team where everybody's pulling in the same direction? Because I would have thought as an Olympic cycling team, you knew exactly what you were doing. We're aimed at getting quickly down to the bike and we're going through these stages of training. Yep. As a team of five, six, seven, to whittle it down to the four fastest or the best fitted riders in the team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, British cycling was a high performance environment. Whether we wanted it or not, <laughs> we get at least five data points of feedback every single lap, man. Every single lap, be it your changes and your speed and your power output on every quarter of a lap. And 
happens. It fair to say you become somewhat institutionalised. You learn to love it. That's the culture, isn't it? It's the bit yeah. of, well, this is what we do around here. What I didn't say about this organisational culture and behaviours and performance is that you've got to be open to feedback to take it in terms of the way yes. it's intended. And there's giving feedback and there's giving structured feedback. Yep. And then having the trust within each other to be able to give negative feedback mm. with a positive intention. So yep. look, this isn't quite right. We need to do this. And I'm going to help and support you to do that. Yep. Rather than, I always use this quote, you're crap, be less crap. Yeah. You're like, oh, <laughs> brilliant, thanks for that feedback. Yeah, and yeah. then three months later, you're still being crap. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know any different. Daniel Craig, somebody asked him, what's your advice to the next Bond? And he was like, three words. Don't be shit. <laughs> Don't brilliant. be shit. Yeah, brilliant. That's actually put him under yeah. pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's good a clever it. comment, actually. Yeah. He probably wants him to crash a little bit to show how good he was. He has been good. So we're talking about dealing with ambiguity, and I think that understanding the way you process information is really important with that. So we talked about you there as an example of, I know I like structure, I like routine, I know I need space when things are not going well. So, yep. you know, that chance to recover. We, as a team as well, I know you're an introvert on times, you know, predominant introverts, yeah, you yeah, like yeah. your own space. Yes. And we talk about, you know, this introversion and extroversion. It's not about an extrovert is, you know, that super chatty person that you can't get a word in edgeways and the introvert's the person in the corner that doesn't speak up. I don't think that's the way I see it as a lens. It's about how we recharge our batteries. That's how you identify. If you're feeling drained and overwhelmed, it's the people that go and source all the friends and like get down the coffee shop, moldy. How tired he was after a six-hour ride in Australia. You know, just dripping with sweat. He'd get back. He was tired. Four minutes later, he'd recharge by getting all the lads gathered around and walking out to a coffee shop, sitting in the sun. I guess like myself, Ali Slater. Ed like, Laverick. Yeah. Ed was a fairly junior member of the team. And yeah. We're like, just an introvert. He needs his own space. Yep. This will resonate with loads of people. As you drag the people out when they don't want to be dragged out and they're absolutely miserable mm. because they feel obligated to be there Yeah, got rather than being next, they want to be there. Nobody wins in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> so understanding each other's sort of roles and the way you want to recharge is really, really important. It helps so, us a lot of JLT, actually. That, that, yeah, yeah, I remember profiling the whole yeah. team. And it was a lot more introverts than people thought. I look at my processes, so especially the last two years working from home, spending a lot of time on my own in the office. Yes, I'm having Zoom calls. And yes, you know, I'm working with colleagues and members of staff. But what I'm not getting is sat opposite somebody and getting the whites of their eyes and yeah. the vibe off people. So... It was a complete subconscious decision. What I started doing when we weren't locked down is I would take my laptop and I'd go and work in the local coffee shop. Yeah. You know, I'd go and mm. sit there. The bizarre thing was I'd sit in the coffee shop with my earphones on, listening to music on my own. Yeah. But I just wanted to be around people. So that's my extroversion taking over. Now, other people were going, that's just weird. It's yeah. probably my most productive part of the day. But then when I came back, I felt better for it. So I was even more productive when I come back. Yeah. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because there's a little bit of ambiguity in this. Can you imagine being a leader or a manager when you've got teams working remotely and you ring them up? You go, well, I'm down the coffee shop doing some work. They're like, what? <laughs> I'm down the coffee shop doing some work. You're like, no, you're not. You're slacking. No, no, I'm generally sat in the coffee shop on my own doing some work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got my earphones in. That's how I hear the phone ringing. I'm just cracking on. I just wanted to get out of my four walls. Yep. That takes a high degree of trust from the leaders, the managers, and the members of staff mm. to be able to allow that to happen. Yes. You know, to do what's right for them as individuals. Because I think pulling this right way back, you deal with ambiguity by having good people around you that you trust, going back to that sounding board again and understanding what each other's needs are. So top tips, you need good people around you you can trust. Yeah, or good people you can have a good conversation with, right? Yeah. You know, to gain clarity, to, even if it's just a sounding board. Yeah. You call me this all the time. Yeah. Just a good sounding board, you know, a safety net, what you normally call mm. it. As humans, we seem to be, I suppose, going backwards a little bit, you know, coming a bit more insular. 
Yeah. Everything's online now. We work at home on our own. We've only got our small family and friends. We've got to make sure that the ones that are close to us that we're having really good conversations with. I think the ones that are missing it yeah. are feeling it right now, especially after the last two years we've had. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to be proactive with it though. Yes. In your world, you know, directors, business owners and that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that haven't had any love from the furlough scheme and things like that. And the performing arts, entertainment, sports, there's a lot of people taking a lot of hits. Adversity, how do we get over that? How do we cope with adversity? You've got to know the way you normally respond to adversity. Yeah. You had a great example that, you know, you can lock yourself in the man cave for six days. You know, you lift back to the toilet, get your food and off you go. Relax. Yeah. Now we've got it back down to about a day. Mm. So you know that. So, you know, as a coach or as a friend, I know you need a day. Yeah. So yeah, I'll yeah. give you that space. Yeah. You know, if he's not a good person, I'll just give him a day, he'll be fine. And then we can start working our way out of it. Mm. But you only get to know that about people by spending time with them and having conversations. Yeah. But also a little bit of theory and understanding is really important. So sort of learning about yourself. So I'm a big fan of education and learning. I'm not a scholar. You know, I didn't go to direct university after my A-levels. I had a big gap away from it and I did my degree distance learning. But I do think that the access we have to free content now is fantastic. And the more we learn, the more we understand about not just ourselves and others. Yeah. And therefore we can build up that resilience. Adversity. So it does build resilience right almost yeah. like training so you train your body you start off at a base level you train you do four hours on your bike you tend to get worse and then you super compensate to a higher level than when you've begun can the same thing be said for your ability to tolerate uncomfortable situations mentally you know what i mean are tougher people you know people have had to deal with adversity then yeah either accidentally or deliberately so you know some people thrive on it so they'll stretch themselves they'll go and climb a silly mountain or dive yeah, really yeah, deep yeah. in the sea because they want to get that reset and yeah. that perspective other people have had a really hard life yeah you know and they haven't had massive opportunities afforded to them and they've had to fight for everything they've got yeah yeah it's and interesting that, yeah and, and they still might not have anything that stereotypical people class as success in terms mm. of money cars houses whatever yeah but what they do have is that there's an inner strength to overcome any obstacle that's quite heartwarming but you know it's good to know that every time you're going through tough times you're going through shit pluses you are going to get better. You're going to super compensate out the other side, like training your body. You're training your mind, essentially, to be more resilient. Yeah, there's a huge research, you know, and I'll try to remember, I'll try and put it in the comments of YouTube and all that around, I think it was the state of Kansas University where they were looking at American military veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan and they were dealing with PTSD, you know, yeah, post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. And thankfully, I think that condition now is not just within the military, realising that it's mm. a matter of perspective what your class is trauma. Yeah, you know, everybody's almost trauma threshold is slightly different to others. And just because somebody can take a lot more, yep. doesn't mean that any stronger or weaker than the person. It's all about perspective, experience, and personality and behavior traits. Yeah. So what they did a study on was a lot of people that had been diagnosed with PTSD and they went through a lot of support and help and tried to come through the other side. What they realized in terms of that super compensation is they started getting post-traumatic growth. Right. So you talked in the intro episode of this podcast about the lens in which you see the world. Yes. All of a sudden you had a really strong percentage of people that were given this label, this condition of post-traumatic stress disorder, which for many years was seen as uh, inhibited of performance and therefore quality of life. And they helped them support their belief system in terms of coming out the other end that actually you could be bigger and stronger and better than you were before that. And you have post-traumatic growth because of the way you've reframed the situation. You've taken the learnings from it. You've accepted the situation. Yeah. And now we're making a plan to move forward. There was examples in the paper around quadruple amputees. People mm. lost both arms and both legs. And they were saying they were more positive now than before they went to war. 
that's unreal, isn't now, it? Now, to the logical person, you're like, that can't be possible. They've yeah. got all these challenges ahead of them. But yeah. no, because of the lens and the professional help and support they have, they're now going out and doing some amazing things. And they've got that engagement. They're, they're living their life to their values. They're not putting things off till tomorrow. Yeah. They're getting yeah. stuff done now. And you can get that post-traumatic growth. That just shows how important that that lens in which you see the world is. Mm. That's crazy. It's it? not just a switch, though. You know, it's yeah. a skill. Mm. And you need some professional help and support to get there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the deeper stuff obviously needs your, your therapist, your counsellor, psychologist, mm. etc., to take you on that journey and specialist ones like that. Sometimes in the working world, we have a bad day. It can feel a little bit like really what I call shallow trauma. Mm. You know, it's just rocked our world a little bit. But if we learn about ourselves, understand the way we respond and stop that negative spiral into a six day, and that's how we minimize it to a day. We've got to start identifying the way we respond and react to situations. And I deliberately change the language there. Because we talk about reacting to a situation and responding. Yes. Responding is very different to reacting. Reacting tends to be that little instinctive yep. autopilot. Like an emotional response. An emotional response. Yep. It can be. And it's not always wrong, yep. but it can be. When we respond, it's more of a conscious decision. It's thought out and it's yeah. a bit more methodical. And I know that's one of our premises of yeah. early performances. Respond, don't react. That's why I deliberately change the language there. With all that said, when you're in the middle of that trauma, and I'm going to call it shallow trauma because I'm not a therapist and a counsellor, but when you're in that shallow trauma, you know, you've lost that race, mm. I've lost that contract, don't have to pay the bills this month. It's that presence of mind yeah. of knowing where you are stops you getting deeper within that spiral yeah. and allows us to get higher up in the spiral in terms of the positive side rather than the negative side. Yeah. Does that resonate or jump out at all? Yes. What you said earlier as well, you mentioned the word reframing. And that's something that, you know, we've done together quite a lot. And compared to some of the things you sort of talk about, it's quite a hard sell, I think, to people. But I think, you know, if you sit down with someone that can sort of speak your language, that can reframe things well, it's probably the most powerful thing, I think. Again, it's the same sort of thing. It's like two people in different parallel universes. You know, one thinks they're having a terrible, traumatic, uncomfortable time. The other one thinks... We're grafting for something that's really worthwhile and I'm going to do this for my friends and my family and like when it comes off, this is going to be just the best sort of thing. And I don't know, it's just getting someone that can like put it in the right language and reframing the same situation and you can have a great outcome or you can be left with a really traumatic event. Yeah, so reframing it is basically just flipping it on its head and asking yourself a simple question like, you know, what else could this mean? Yeah. Because we're quite habitual. You know, we've got our set routines of X happens, I respond like Y. Yep. So that interrupt between X getting to Y or when you're at Y, questioning that. But what else could this mean? What else could we take from this? We talk a lot, and I know you're coming on one of our courses very soon, just for your own personal development to take it even further, is sometimes you've got a choice to look at a certain situation. You either see it as an opportunity or you see it as a threat. Well, if you see it as a threat, you see that negative lens. You mm. see that, well, your chin drops, your whole yeah, body, yeah, you yeah. get stress hormones released. Yeah. But when you see things as an opportunity, so what's the opportunity to learn from you? If that hasn't happened, what else could happen? I've lost a contract, but that means there's room for another client. I've lost yeah. a friend, which means I've created room for a new friend. Yes. You know, I've yeah, argued yeah. with that person, but that means I'm going to learn maybe how to avoid an argument in the future. It's a skill that's learned and it's developed. But you can do it in two ways. You probably don't know this, and I will share it with everybody. When we first started working together six or seven years ago, I was quite direct with that. Mm. I would send you a message or I would say to you, but it could also mean this, Ed but we could also do that. So yeah. I'm being directive. I'm telling you what the reframe is. Yep. And then as we built the relationship and the rapport, I started asking you, well, what else could this mean? What else could you do with that? So then yeah, you yeah. owned it. You started reframing it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what that's allowed is a journey of building trust and rapport for you to have ownership in it. Yeah. To the point where 
the penny dropped, because I've heard you in many talks talking about reframing situations, but it's a skill that you have now that you probably won't need before anyone, because look at the point, you'll do it automatically. So that's being directive and indirective with it. And then there's understanding the, the time to use the skill and the tool. So Tokyo was a good example, wasn't it? You know, I, I sent yeah, you that yeah. text that night. That you know? was, yeah, yeah. That was a hell of a reframe, that one, Phil. But I knew, or I thought, I didn't know, knowing you, that's what you needed at that time. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, man. The last thing you wanted me to ask you 10,000 questions because you're already mm. thinking, yeah. the race hasn't gone. I've let the team down. Bloody hell, I'm retiring now. This has happened really quick. I've got the media. I've got my sponsors. I've got my agent. You've got all this going in the mind. Yeah. The last yeah. you want is 10 questions from me, which is an indirect coaching style. Yeah. Where I was a bit more direct with the reframe of going, what would I want if I was in his shoes? Empathy. Yeah. I'd want some reassurance and clarity and maybe some suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a directive approach. And I also then thought, you need space. I'd had this idea of pursuit line in my mind for a few months, although we didn't have a name. <laughs> yeah. And I knew you were traveling back and mm. I knew roughly when you were landing. Yeah. And yeah. then that's when I watched that because I know you're the thinker. Yes. And you'd be thinking, shit, what's next? Because that's all I've done for all my life is ride a bike. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to go to Newport in the holding camp to pick my van up and then I've got a four hour drive home to Yorkshire. <laughs> what, what am I doing tomorrow? Yeah. So yeah. I know you like a structure and a plan. Yeah. The funny thing is, you don't think about that until you cross the line. No, that was a hell of a reframe, that one. When you've just crossed a race like that, and it's such an emotive environment, the Belladrona sports, you know what it is. It was good to leave there on a bit of a positive note with things to look forward to. Again, to having a plan in the future as well, isn't it? And I think so, especially for someone like yourself who needs a structure and a plan and something to think about. And even if it was something to think about, to dismiss, at least you've yeah, got something yeah. to think about. Yeah. It was an important time that was, I think, to ensure that not just me, but everybody else around you was there to support you, but also not put any pressure on you because you needed that time and space. Yeah, good on you. Dealing with ambiguity then. So what's the main takeaways for everyone here, I think? Top tips, I think I've sort of like tried to note down a few already. All right, okay, so what have you got in your notes? <laughs> what I got from that is don't go into your man cave. <laughs> good people around you, reach out to good people that you know can sort of help you out of it. What I sort of really took is quite a positive thing there. So, you know, even when you're having a tough time and you're dealing with adversity, it's good to know that that's building resilience. That's quite a positive for me, that. Yeah. I think that's another thing. And reframing the importance of reframing it and one thing i guess we haven't spoke about just yet is the sort of perspective and how important that is and there's some crazy stats out there on like if you've got a roof over your head and food in your fridge and you really are winning at the game of life you know i've used that a few times i'm like oh shit me we've finished second in the bike race crying your rhythm man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but like, it's very real to you that was your world right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. At the time you committed everything you possibly could to it and... but at the same time it's important to recognize and like you know if you think about how significant that bike race is yeah. in my time in the universe it's really quite insignificant and if you think about how important my entire lifetime is for the country of great britain it's a dot in the ocean yeah and the world and the universe and if you're looking yeah. at the whole universe and everything that ever was on a big, long space-time continuum really doesn't matter, does it? It does work. There was some professor on the news the other day, and they were saying, you know, depending on where you want to start the clock, but, you know, us as homo sapiens have been around for a couple hundred thousand years in our current form-ish. Yeah. But actually, there's been some form of animal and primate on the planet for a million years. And that's nuts, isn't it, in terms of when you're saying that, yeah. you know, hopefully you have a long life, but if you work off the average age now, what, 80, 85? You're right in terms of when you zoom out that far, yeah, it's not yeah. even a dot that can be seen. But I think that's why it's really important, and I know it's important to you, is that you take that learning and that perception of success and share your learnings to help people. Yeah, big time. You know, yeah. and I think that's the connection with that. So reframing is definitely really important. Understanding that, you know, that struggle 
will pay dividends at some point and it won't feel like it at the time yeah that's the bit i think i want to get home is that when you're really in that struggle that you don't feel like it but there is really good help and support out there if you're proactive and when the time's right to reach out there but also you know the power of speaking or writing just getting it outside of your mind you know, yeah, we started the podcast that I really like that brain dump you did. Yeah, yeah, I do a brain dump and then I just try and prioritize. And, you know, realistically, if I didn't do any of those on that list that day, is the world going to end? Probably not. No. No, for my own sanity, probably want to get three or four of them done. But if I've done a bad day and I wanted to take the afternoon off to do something and I did one or two, yep. it's absolutely fine. But I've also then got a starting point where maybe tomorrow I need to have a super productive day. So I might have my new mind dump and I might have six or seven things to box off. You probably haven't seen it. I had over my desk there. Now I think it was my son that bought it to me at Christmas. And it's actually a white pad. Oh, yeah. Where my keypad sits. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's a scribble thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got a little whiteboard marker pen that mm. when I'm on a call, I make a list. Nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. The reason being is I've got a terrible memory. Yes. <laughs> terrible yeah. memory. Yeah. I mean, I went from shopping the other day and I had three things to get. I think I've got four and two of them are wrong. So, <laughs> so I'm one yeah. of those and that. Yeah. But then we can use technology. I've been this morning and I had notes on my phone and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But dealing with ambiguity is, you know, if we keep doing what we've done, we've always get what we've always got. You know, the old cliche. Yeah, so yeah. sometimes yeah. we've got to take ownership and just do something a little bit different and understand that if we do things differently, we'll get a different result and we can grow and develop from there. And I think that's what, again, this podcast about is just learning and sharing and moving forward together as a community, really, and sharing some top tips and some practices, really. Sweet. Cheers, cool. Dealing with ambiguity is a difficult one. I and mean, I think it's probably resonated maybe some of the anecdotal stories within what we talked about there. Yeah, I think everyone on some levels had uncertainty, ambiguity over the last year or two. Yeah, and no, the top thing to me. So if you need to mind dump either verbally or in writing, take time to learn and educate yourself. Yep. Especially about yourself and others. Mm. Because the triggers between people are quite predictable. It's a different way of operating. Might be different values, different priorities, different ways of seeing the world, different lens. Yes. And yeah. if we can find a middle ground in there, a way of finding a way that everybody can get what they need, that takes effective communication to do that. Yep. And also understanding that later on in life, you'll thank yourself you went through that. Yeah. Because yeah, it'll yeah. make you that tough. That post-traumatic growth is very real. Yeah. And if anybody wants to research it, just put it into your Google of University of Kansas post-traumatic growth. That's very interesting. Post-traumatic growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's a little comfort at the time, but mm. understanding it's impossible. When we're struggling, we just need that glimmer of hope, that yeah. glimmer of light in the distance. Mm. We could get those from anywhere. And educate yourself and keep learning. I think as a human being, we've got these certain needs, and one of them that I see across the board is that the ability to learn or the desire to learn and grow. Yeah, uh, whether it's, you know, if you're auditory, then podcasts and audiobooks or conversations are really good with people. If you like to read, then books and well, there's so much stuff online now. Yeah, so yeah. much stuff online. Go and find it. Just take some time out. Yeah. Prioritize your well-being and prioritize your learning and your personal development. And I think that over time, they'll add up just like a physical training program, that psychological training program. Mm. will help and build up and give you some really good tools and resources put yourself on some courses and yeah definitely yeah know. funnily enough you know we we're out on the calpe camp with the under 23 lads last week johnny norfolk the head coach got us all sit around in a big circle and you know they got the senior guys to sort of like give the youngsters a bit of you know what would you do different when you were 21 22 years old and i was like invest in yourselves like and not just financially i'm talking financially you know go spend 100 quid on some heated gloves for winter if you want but, you know, go and do that, you know. If you feel like you have poor organisational skills, read a book on it. Yeah. You know, even if it's just as simple as watching a five-minute YouTube video. You know, do a couple of day courses, things like that. If you feel like you struggle to work well within your little team, again, you know, do a bit of research on it and invest in yourself. 
I think that's a really strong point. And what I liked about that is the fact that you're sharing stories. We do learn a lot by other people's stories, especially those that have walked in similar shoes. You know, you see this mantra thrown around social media and LinkedIn about, and I even said it myself earlier, find your tribe. What that for me is find people that have walked in similar shoes and had similar experiences because you're there to support each other. You've got that natural empathy. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. can't always empathize or sympathize with people if mm. you haven't been in their shoes. Yeah, you know, so yeah. when you start getting your head up and start looking, you'll find like-minded people and that provides opportunity to talk and dump and create some clarity in the ambiguity and uncertainty. So hopefully people have got some bits and bobs from there and some really good chat. I have no idea how long that lasted, which is a good thing. <laughs> but I think we'll draw a line there, Ed, and I enjoyed that. As always, we could talk for hours. So if you haven't already, come along and subscribe to our newsletter. Come to our website, which is pursuitline.co.uk. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, either myself individually, which is Phil Kelly, or the main man, Ed Clancy, OBE. Come along. We do interact with you. Come and interact with the brand. Come and help us grow it. We've got loads of good plans moving forward in terms of some stuff on YouTube and videos and educational content and eBooks. And we're going to really, really sort of put a lot of time and effort and energy into this. And tell your friends as well, if things that have resonated with you and you want to help us build our tribe and tell your friends about us or tag them in our social posts or share our profiles. We really, really appreciate that. We really want to share the learning and provide feedback, you know, drop some comments or some DMs or emails to us and provide some feedback and some suggestions too. We're certainly going to keep the momentum up with getting this content out there. We're going to change the themes up. We're going to try and speak the themes that are relevant at that time as best as can. And hopefully maybe get some guests on board, Eddie. We'll get there, yeah. And test our findings against them. You know, for example, some of those tips we've had there, we could say to somebody, right, how do you deal with ambiguity? This is how we do it. Does that resonate? And they be like, no, you're full of crap. We do this. <laughs> or, no, you've got a point there, but we do it this way. And I think that will really enrich the stories and the journey of Pursuit by Morgan Thought. As always, great to chat to you, Ed, and thanks for inviting me. And looking forward to the next one. Cheers, Phil. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Come and follow us on social media. Just search for Pursuit Line, your preferred platform. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Interact with us and let us know your thoughts. Catch you next time.